Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It is your Behind Enemy Lines show on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jake Burns. Before we get over to our guest, who does a fantastic job of putting together who the Chargers are collectively. We'll get to that in a second. want to update you on a couple things going on with the Browns. Uh, in case you did not hear, Anthony Walker back, uh, you know, eligible from return from the IR, was activated. He is... Um, Obviously a very important part of the Browns' defense. We only got to see him for one game, and a little bit ironically, it has helped the Browns' defense a little bit, sort of get the linebacker order set up, you know, between moving Malcolm Smith over to Mike, allowing Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo to play your, your nickel will, do a really good job, you know, in that role, is obviously continuing to expand, and he, he reiterated today his patience and knowing that his role will keep expanding. So how they fit Walker into that dynamic, I, I'm guessing here, but I would think that they would go about it by having Walker be the early down Mike and then maybe having uh, Smith, who excels in coverage, come onto the field as the as the late down or dimebacker situation too. You could do it that way. But the pass situations to Smith, not a bad idea. Just make sure you don't sacrifice playing time for 28 because he's, he's pretty dang good right now and he's feeling it and uh, keep him in a rhythm. So that's a big piece of news. Obviously, Baker Mayfield talked today again about the shoulder not being an impairment. You know, he's not on the injury report. They're not making a deal out of it. I have no, you know, I have no angle to go with here other than it's not a problem. You know, the shoulder harness could be a thing, but, you know, I have no, <laughs> we have no inclination that, it, that it's a problem, you know, other than just people conjecturing about it, right? Coming up with their own way of thinking. That's fine. He's just not on the injury report or anything. So, you know, run with that as you will. He reiterated, Kevin's reiterated that he's he's okay. He's fine. He's just got to play better. So whatever, you know, you're going to believe what you want to believe on that. Uh, I'm, you know, going to take their word that he's ultimately okay. As far as the injuries for today go, as, as far as people who missed practice, the list was extensive. Odell Beckham was on there uh, for the shoulder, but he's a full participant. People who did not participate, Jadevin Clowney with an elbow, um, uh, Troy Hill with a toe, Malik Jackson, not injury-related there, just resting him. Tack McKinley didn't practice with an ankle-slash-knee designation. Greg Newsom is the only one right now who has rolled out. He's rolled out with the calf. He will not make the trip out to L.A. David Njoku did not practice with his knee. Malcolm Smith with an abdomen. J.C. Treader continuing his path of rest with a knee back listing. He didn't practice. Denzel Ward with a neck didn't practice. He, you know, neck injury doesn't just have. It used to bother me. Well, you know, Denzel has a neck. Okay, cool. That that's great. Every human does. It's a neck injury. And then Jed Wills obviously with the ankle. Those are all your did not practice. Chris Hubbard with the triceps limited once again, continuing his trend. We'll see if he gets to play. Tony Fields with the shoulder limited, and Jack Conklin with a knee limited as well. So. I don't know. I don't know where it goes. We'll see which guys are going to play, which guys aren't. Obviously, I'll come Friday the 8th, I will start to get more concerned about some of those guys. But uh, for now, we the list is extensive. For the Chargers, really the only people who are limited are Chris Harris, who's a good corner for them. 
Uh, Joe Jackson, one of their backup running backs, and Derwin James are limited. I expect uh, most of those guys to go. Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, both with ankle injuries, are listed, but I expect those guys to play. Uh, So they're going to come into this game pretty healthy, other than a couple little things we're going to talk about. We're going to bring on Michael Peterson here in just a second. Michael Peterson writes for... Uh, writes on the Chargers for SB Nation, bolts from the blue, He's at Zone Tracks on Twitter. Give him a follow. He does really, really well here, breaking down every single thing about the Chargers. So this podcast will leave you feeling really prepared about where the Chargers are and uh, you know, their whole collective vibe from head coach down to the, the nitty-gritty of, of depth on this roster heading into this Week 5 game. Browns have their hands full with this one. So all hands on deck. They'll fly out there Saturday. Stefanski confirmed out to L.A., Uh, to avoid, you know, spending a lot of time in another state away from home. Pretty smart move, in my opinion. We'll see how it shakes out. It's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a good barometer game for both teams. Can't wait for it. Should be fun. Let's get over to our guest now, Michael Peterson. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcoming in Michael Peterson, who covers the Chargers for SB Nation. Follow him on Twitter. You should too. At Zone Tracks. Make sure you check him out. Always good to get perspectives from other teams around the league, and especially one like the Chargers here, Michael, who are pretty dang good, man. Matchup of three and one teams. Let's talk about your Chargers. Coming off of last year, man. First, well, I should say, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. I get a little ahead of myself sometimes. So let's, I'm excited. It's a big game. Let's talk about the decision to fire Anthony Lynn. Obviously, one that uh, we, Anthony Lynn's really well respected. I think you could mm-hmm. you could agree with that. Was it coming? I know that there's all the whole public scrutiny about some of the decisions he's made as a head coach and clock management and you know fourth down aggressiveness, things like that. But was it what you know? I know we know the outcome now. We th- we think Brandon Staley's really good. I know you'll have your opinion. You're going to share in a minute. But like, was it an unpopular decision in house, or was it like the time to move on? It was most definitely the time to move on. Um, I was one of the first people, or I'd be one of the first people to tell you how excited I was uh, when Anthony Lynn was hired. Now, when I started with Bolts in the Blue, which is you know our, our Charger site here at SB Nation, uh, you know working for free, whatever, and I was one of the first things I wanted to write was an article about why I wanted to play. Like as a former college football player myself, again, no NFL for me, but like as a former player, like why I would want to coach or play for coach Anthony Lynn. And it was one of my favorite pieces. I had a, just a blast. You know, I brought on experiences from playing from other coaches and I just loved what Anthony Lynn brought to the chargers. I loved his mix of, uh, 
you know, old school feel, the stuff that I think still mattered while still trying to be a player's coach and understanding because, you know, he was, uh, you know, a former running back in the NFL, won, you know, one or two Super Bowls in his time, I believe, one or two with the Broncos. And I mean, this was a guy that he just exuded, you know, respect me. I guess it wasn't like he demanded anything. It was just the way he treated people. It was just his old school demeanor. He was just a cool cat. I mean, there were so many things that were likable and it helped that in his first season, right? They started 0 and 4. And at first, you know, that doesn't look too good, but then you come back and you finish the season nine and seven, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a heck of a way to, to show that you're going to turn the ship around. Right. I mean, that's what you want to do in your first year as a head coach. Second year comes through Derwin James comes in all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're 12 and four tied for the biggest, uh, you know, or the best record in the AFC uh, you go to the playoffs for the first time in 2013, since 2013. You win a playoff game for the first time since then as well. Um, and everything looks good. And then here comes his third season. And you go 5-11 and 11 with, again, a team that is stacked and looks really good on paper who did, you know, went to the playoffs the pre- season before. And then in his final season, you know, they, they draft Justin Herbert. Um, there's the whole thing about, you know, him not starting Herbert right away. And then he ends up being thrown in the fire. Next thing you know, Herbert looks pretty good. And unfortunately, uh, his final season was still plagued with just, uh, boneheaded mistakes and weird game situation decisions that no one in the world could make sense of. And that's why guys like Warren Sharp and people were, were constantly, you know, making fun of what was going on, what the Chargers were doing on a week to week basis, because it was just that bad. It was just so, you know, want to bang your head against the wall because you can't believe it's happening every single week type stuff. And I mean, Mike McCoy was who he was and there was a Chargers curse through the McCoy era. And then all of a sudden Anthony Lynn comes in and there's still a Chargers curse type deal uh, going on with him. And so finally, it all kind of culminated into we need to do something different. And uh, Brandon Staley ended up being that something different. And I, I think at the end of the day, everyone and their mom would tell you that they're much happier and much more excited about this team with Brandon Staley now at the helm. So Brandon Staley, we all know his background, ties to Dayton in Ohio. It's a you know, friend of mine, knows him from Dayton. It's a, uh, it's a really kind of tied in thing here. And he, he's come up as fascinating, right? Uh, shoots up the ranks, gets this job as the DC of the Rams, and all of a sudden, uh, and right now he's rightfully so the favorite for a coach of the year. I'm kind of just curious, you know, was the hire, again, it's hard to look back on these things now when you're four weeks in and things are really going well, uh, but I think maybe it's because I'm being associated with Cleveland as I have been, we've shuffled head coaches in and out for so long, you just kind of get used to that, right? You know you know where you were and you know where you're at now and all that stuff. Like, so I'm curious with the Staley hire, was it well-received or was there apprehension around that decision to bring him in? I think if someone says that they want to brand Staley from the jump, I think they'd be lying, honestly. And, and I'll admit that I didn't think much about brand Staley. And honestly, I didn't think about any coach that wasn't an offensive-minded coach because we saw what Justin Herbert was as a rookie, right? If in your new coach, why wouldn't you want one of the up-and-coming, you know, offensive coordinators uh, like an Arthur Smith, Brian Dable? I mean, these guys who you just – you saw what they did with, with their teams, uh, you know, with Tennessee and Tannehill, um, with the Bills and Josh Allen. And Dable, I think, was probably the favorite amongst – uh, Chargers fans and and people who cover the Chargers because they just felt like what he was able to do with Josh Allen was eerily similar to what uh, you know the situation with Justin Herbert you know physically gifted quarterbacks very similar um, expected progression maybe Herbert obviously was a, you know a bit further along his progression in year one than, than Josh Allen was um, so I, I think they would have been lying if if they said that they thought Brandon Staley was going to be the guy so yeah when when Brandon Staley was hired I kind of remember where I was. You know, I read the notification and I just thought, ah, I didn't 
I didn't know exactly how to feel at the time. Uh, you know, I, I really thought I was going to be an offensive coordinator. I didn't know much about Brandon Staley, but then, you know, you kind of just accept that uh, he's a young coach. You know, he's from the Sean McVay tree. That's something to be excited about. We're going to give this guy, you know, the old college try and, and see what he has. And I cannot stress enough just how refreshing uh, Brandon Staley is as a head coach in terms of just listening to him talk you know, on a weekly basis, almost daily basis with the press conferences, hearing him, just how he speaks, how he speaks about people, the game, Everything in between is, is just amazing. And he's forward thinking. He's progressive. He's brought this Chargers franchise into the modern day. And I think that's just massive after, you know, a, a good decade or so of just watching this team struggle to keep up with all these teams that are kind of passing them, you know, in, in that modern mindset. So, yeah, Brandon Staley wasn't the first guy on everyone's minds, but I mean, no one would go back and change anything. So it's the, the way you're telling that story almost exactly the same from the flip perspective when the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski. So it's it's unique in that sense. There are some tweets out there that people have probably scrubbed by now, people not excited about the decisions, but you get sharp young minds who are willing to bend the mold on what's the traditional norm in the NFL, willing to collaborate with people who present good data to them, and you can find something here. And I think that that's a pretty similar path that both of these franchises are on right now. I'm a Brandon Staley fan. I like the way he thinks about the game. His press conferences are insightful. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to where he goes. Let's, uh, let's transition real quick, if we can, Michael, to this game and kind of center it around Justin Herbert. We have the tale of two quarterbacks right now. Baker Mayfield is not playing well. Uh, is probably struggling as bad as he has in some time. The shoulder is dealing with a left shoulder issue. Uh, we'll see if that gets any better going into this week, but he's been inaccurate. While on the flip side, Justin Herbert seems to be taken off. I want to kind of round about Herbert here and talk about it from a couple different angles. Similar question that I've had to your hindsight answers to everything now. The Justin Herbert pick at the time, how well received was that? Because we know what he's turning into. We're all seeing it. We all witness it. It's it's a chance to be something very special here and it's, it's working in that direction. But was he the guy everybody wanted out there when he was selected? Um, again, I would tell you if, if anyone <laughs> wanted to uh, say that they were on to Justin Herbert from the very beginning, uh, I think there's some people who will probably like that, especially West coasters, you know, just all they saw was uh, the pedigree and resume of Herbert in college. But I think a lot of the guys who spent time, you know, watching film, really analyzing this quarterback's class, uh, they would not have wanted just Herbert to be the guy. And and I'm, I, I've said this quite a few times, so I'm not ashamed to say it again, but uh, I wasn't big on Justin Herbert coming out. I liked him for, you know, what he looked like on paper, 6'6", you know, almost 240 pounds, come from an explosive, fun-to-watch offense like Oregon. Um, I got an uncle who actually lives up there in Oregon, has season tickets, so, like, I kind of grew up just watching uh, that university as well. So there was some things that really drew me to Justin Herbert. But when I looked at guys like Tua and I looked at Joe Burrow, and the biggest thing that I kind of take when I watch quarterbacks is just how natural – does it look like the position comes to them? And I mean, I'm not talking about scheme or whatever else, how they do a lot of things. I mean, just watching a player play, does it look like, you know, in in or out of structure when they're making plays, making things happen, moving the offense down the field? Does it look like you know, how second nature does it look just natural when it when the ball comes out of their hands? Does it look like they're kind of freaking out the whole time despite making plays or are they kind of cool, calm and collected? 
you know, those are a lot of things that I look at. And I just felt that guys like Burrow and Tua looked more natural. You know, when I was watching Justin Herbert at the NFL Combine, he didn't test all that much, but he definitely threw. And I just remember when he was throwing just like, you know, some three-step slants, some short five-yard hitches and stuff like that, it just looked like he was guiding the ball too much. You know, he had this live arm. We all knew he could throw it seven yards, you know, standing uh, still. But for whatever reason, these little five to 10 yard throws, it just looked like he was trying too hard. He wasn't letting his arm kind of just make the throw for him. Um, and so those are kind of the red flags that I had. And so on draft day, you know, Tua went right before uh, Herbert to the Dolphins at five. And so, you know, when that happened, all of a sudden you, uh, you just know that Herbert's going to be the guy. And so you take that in stride. And in that moment, when he's your guy, you just kind of have to accept it. And uh, thank God that. You know, all the craziness happened that he was thrown into the fire and now is the quarterback that he is because holy cow, it's just everyone owes Justin Herbert an apology. And again, I, I'm going to be one of the first people to do that when I have the chance. Yeah, he's playing great football, man. And it's it's really a microcosm the way it's been for Deshaun Watson, the way it's been for Pat Mahomes and, and Herbert, kind of where these guys are drafted and people overlooking them. And then you look back at it and you're like, well, why did they overlook him for that? That doesn't make a ton of sense. It's going to be written on in the next decade. I don't know when there's going to be a study, but it's like these guys that are selected in sort of the middle of the first round or even when it got to Lamar at the end, you know, Josh mm -hmm. Allen's the 10th pick. It's like, what are we missing? Right? Like there's something missing here. And uh, I don't know when that will come up, and I don't know who will write it, but we'll see. And it'll be interesting to track that back because there were people who were just anti-Justin Herbert for the weirdest reasons. He lived in the shotgun. There were all these, all these strange, you know, tying into Oregon quarterbacks, and it's just like, come on, man! Like we we got to be better than this, and eventually, hopefully, we do get better at it. Not that they're easy to find quarterbacks, right, Michael? I mean, like, there's like five to mm -hmm. seven of these dudes in the world who can really, really change outcomes on every snap. And I would imagine that's how you're feeling now with Herbert, right? Like, you think, you go from thinking, you know, my team can be pretty good here, this team I cover can win game, or, or now it's like where Herbert's going, it's like, we're one of the five, again, five to seven teams who have a guy who can do this thing. Like, really sustainably do it are you guys in that path like is that the impression around the franchise now about herbert where he's going yeah i mean again being a chargers fan there's a lot of skepticism that comes with just like having followed the team for you know hard at all over the last decade or so um where whenever something seems to be too good to be true it usually is and you know again all these years of the past uh, especially the past five years where it's, you know, this Chargers team looks really good on paper. Like, I don't see why this Chargers team couldn't be a dark horse, couldn't be one of the best teams in the division or the AFC entirely. Um, and then all these crazy things happens, right? The fourth quarter, um, you know, blown leads and all this stuff. But if there's one thing that has stayed consistent, so even during Herbert's rookie season, a lot of games were lost that year. Luckily, they ended the year on a four-game win streak to kind of help make it look a little bit prettier. But if there was one thing that was consistent was Herbert's play. Now, Every single game the Chargers kept losing in some weird, crazy way, Herbert was still performing very well. You know, they, they were uh, winning in spite of Herbert, not despite him or, or however that phrase goes. I'm sorry, I'm all jumbled up with that. Uh, but you guys know what I'm saying. Like, Herbert always played well. He did what he needed to do. Um, and he wasn't ever the reason why the Chargers lost games for the most part last season. And so this year, all of a sudden, he has three interceptions for the first two games. And you're kind of like, oh, is this that sophomore slump that all these analysts thought Herbert was probably going to hit because his play last year was was just too sustained. But all of a sudden, he bounces back from those two first games, which I would say 
are an easier two game stretch than, you know, the Chiefs and Raiders were these past two weeks. And all of a sudden he goes from two and three touchdown interception ratio to seven and oh, you know, no turnovers whatsoever. So I think he just keeps proving that no matter what happens, he's going to bounce back and be, again, this cool, cool, calm, collected kid that he always has been. Um, And it's just, again, so natural. So with that natural nature you're talking about, they decide, hey, we got to get the right weapons around this guy. Now, some were here organically, some were not. They decided to make Austin Eckler the guy. Keenan Allen is Keenan Allen. We all know that. The routes guru, Mike Williams. Have they done enough at the skill positions? Jared Cook addition has been great. Talk about the skill positions, running back to wide receiver to tight end, and what they're bringing to the table this year. Yeah, I think they did a good job of... Uh, kind of building, you know, this this basketball team around him with, with skill position players, right? Or um, that's at least the you know the, the phrase that I like to use: building a wide receiver corpse, where you've got you know your point guard, your power forward, your, your shooting guard, just guys who are good at you know their roles to kind of create that that offensive uh, skill team. And so they've got Keenan, right? He's the guy. He's as sure-handed as they come. He had I think he had an unfortunate drop on a tough catch last night. Had a drop week one against Washington. So he's been like he's been himself, but maybe just a little off for whatever reason this first month mike williams all of a sudden is becoming the guy we all uh chargers fans hoped that he would be after being selected in the first round back in 2017 last night's game was just odd i mean to just to kind of jump off real quick it was just odd the the raider secondary was hung together by you know loose shoestrings and for some reason they just kept pelting the tight ends and everything but i think if anything that speaks to the talent that all of a sudden the chargers have at the tight end position right uh jared cook i think was a phenomenal cheap free agent signing this offseason to replace hunter henry who a lot of people you know are fans of hunter henry he's a good tight end i don't think people realize that following his injuries that he kind of lost a little bit of a step uh, as a vertical pass catcher and so with uh justin herbert you know he makes everyone look good but hunter henry was kind of winning in, in, a, in a phone booth for most of uh last year he wasn't getting downfield he wasn't gaining chunk yards he's a sure-handed guy that you want on third down but he wasn't really giving the offense anything they didn't already have in keenan allen or mike williams at the time um so cook his skill set i think fits better with his offense and what justin herbert wants to do and then you look at donald parham i mean the Chargers took a chance on a guy who's 6'8", who, who was running through the XFL fairly well, and then all of a sudden is just super efficient with his catches. I mean, I think a third of his catches in the NFL have been for touchdowns, which is absolutely phenomenal. He does come up with a big play once or twice a game. Um, you can't teach 6'8". You know, he's just got that going for him. And then Steven Anderson, again, a third tight end, uh, is a guy that plays a little bit of fullback as well, H-back in the backfield, who, when he gets his chance as well, just makes things happen. Uh, and then obviously we talked about Eckler, the dual threat, the Alvin Kamara role of Joe Lombardi's offense does a little bit of everything. We know how good he is. Him running the football last night, tough, averaging almost eight yards per carry was awesome to see. The Chargers have needed to get their ground game going. So, yeah, overall, I think they've done a phenomenal job uh, of really curtailing this this skill group to uh, fit what Justin Herbert wants to do within this offense. If there's one thing that I will point out that I think they still need is a speed guy. And I understand Jalen Guyton, who's uh, this team's wide receiver three right now, does run a sub 4-4. I think it was a 4-3-7 coming out of North Texas. But this offense isn't necessarily running the same max protection play action deep shots that they were consistently last year. So he's just not seeing the same type of depth of target that he's used to. And that just might be an offensive thing, but in general, a true speed guy that they could potentially look to a couple times a game would be great. But if the offense doesn't want to do that, then I think they're good where they are. 
let, let's talk real quick. Great insights there. Let, let's talk real quick about the O-line. And then you're talking there at the, the end of your answer there, Michael, about what they are offensively, where they go. We're gonna, I want to throw a question at you about what makes them go, what do they do well, and, and where do teams give them fits. But before we get there, let's talk O-line. Sean Slater's come on another guy who people – didn't have quite as high uh, up the rankings that probably needed to. And then some other names that are probably not so known. So if you could kind of go through who the five core have been for our listeners and, uh, and fill us in on how they've played in, in 21. Yeah. So I'll get the, uh, some of the lesser known guys out of the way real quick. So storm Norton has been the team's right tackle since about halfway through the Washington game, Brian Bulaga, the veteran who signed from green Bay before last season, Unfortunately, he's an Iowa guy. I went to the University of Iowa, so I have a little bias here. Uh, I think he's a great tackle, but we all know just how injury prone he's been. I think he's been healthy for a whole season three times, you know, in his 10, 11 year career. Uh, so Brian Bulag is currently out. Storm Norton's filling in. This guy was the highest rated um, offensive lineman in the entire XFL, that short abbreviated season by PFF. Uh, so he was good there against that competition. Comes in. He's done, I'll say, fine. But if you put him against any type of elite athlete like a Micah Parsons, who obviously whipped his tail against the Cowboys, he's going to have some problems. But I think he's stepped in. He's kind of kept his nose to the grindstone, and he's been, I'll say, solid and serviceable so far uh, in his chances. Now, uh, working from, I guess, let's just go right to left um, from Storm Norton. Uh, our right guard, Odeabushi, was a guy that was signed in free agency, a cheap signing um, who played the end of 2020, I think the second half of that season. He was with the Lions. And a lot of people thought he was playing his best ball. And now this is a guy, 6'5", 315 pounds, good size for a guard. Um, a little up and down, but especially these last two weeks has been just solid. I'd say he's not screwing up. And with a Chargers offensive line that's known for screwing up a lot or just flat out being bad, the fact that we're not talking about him or not hearing his name all that much is a good thing. He's just been solid, getting his job done and not making mistakes. Then you obviously have Corey Lindsley, uh, the 2020 first team all pro coming over from the Packers as well. Uh, you know, first team all pro again, the best center in the league. Chargers go out there making the highest paid center. Um, and then, you know, giving Justin Herbert a guy to work with on every snap, knowing that the guy he's, he's receiving the ball from on every play is as good as it gets. Um, he had a rough start. I want to say a little up and down as well. The first two games now he's been as solid as, as he's been all season, especially last night had a heck of a game, um, you know, run blocking. And then Matt, a very underrated player was a free agent signing from, uh, the Steelers came in as an undrafted tackle from a Division II school, I want to say, um, and has really turned into one of the most underrated guards in the NFL, and I believe that. Um, great size as well, 6'5", I think 330, has really helped bring together the identity of this offensive line um, as just incredibly hardworking guys that have chips on their shoulders and, uh, again, just kind of want to prove people wrong. And I think they've done that so far. He's been really good next to Rashawn Slater. And obviously we're going to finish with, with the rookie taking 13th overall this past uh, draft. Again, phenomenal pick. Absolutely phenomenal. Him and, and Asante Samuel Jr., who I'm sure we'll touch on later, uh, in terms of a one and two and crushing your team needs in a draft, could not have been more perfect. He had super high grades in pass block and run block against the Raiders. Overall, I think he was the fourth highest rated player by PFF uh, against Las Vegas. And uh, for a guy who was out of football during the entire 2020 season, you know, he, he again, not playing a snap, 
but goes to Duke Manyweather. And if you guys don't know who he is, uh, he's a phenomenal offensive line guru, coach, developer, trainer. I mean, just everything. He's just devoted to making uh, offensive linemen as great as they can be, just like reaching their potential and all that. And so Rashawn Slater essentially worked with him for an entire year, no football whatsoever on just getting better at anything that he possibly could. So after a year of football, he comes in and has more prepared than, you know, all these guys who were playing football in, in 2020. And so he's just been phenomenal. Run game, pass game does not matter. He's gone up a lot against a lot of good defensive linemen like Chase Young. Uh, had a phenomenal matchup week one. You know, this week against the Miles Garrett's kind of going to be going to be the premier matchup. I think that a lot of people will be talking about. But uh, in all, it's the revamped offensive line. It's exactly what the Chargers needed to do. And it's been all of that effort and investment have been paying large dividends so far. It's it's a good group. It's a group that's not given enough respect. And how how they handle mm-hmm. Cleveland, who is who is rushing the passer, I'm telling you, man, it's been wild. It's been a wild year of watching Cleveland get after quarterbacks, and it's going to be a really really great matchup. Joe Lombardi's the offensive coordinator. Obviously, spends plenty of plenty plenty of time around New Orleans. Sure, he brings some of that experience from his quarterback coaching days, a little run there in Detroit as an OC. Sort of how is Joe doing for you guys, you think? And then tie it into, like I was mentioning just a bit ago, what what is he doing well? And then where what is, you know, when the Chargers struggle, what causes them to struggle? Yeah, uh, so I, I think so far the reviews for Joe Lombardi are mixed. And mixed is kind of, you know, middle of the road. I will say they're leaning more towards positive than negative. Uh in general, so you look at the first two games, Chargers offense is kind of struggling. I know through the first two weeks, they were one of, I think, nine or 10 teams that were averaging 400 yards of offense or more. Um, but they were the only team that wasn't averaging at least 24 and a half points, I think, through those first two games. And they were averaging 18 and a half. So, you know, the second uh, lowest scoring team of offenses going over 400 yards per game, they were almost a full touchdown behind them. So it just showed you kind of the anomaly. Like this team could move the ball between the 20s, but they just couldn't finish. Uh, There was a little bit of a kicking problem as well, which isn't necessarily Lombardi's fault, but there was just a lot of problems. And then, of course, there were the penalties that took more than one touchdown off the board for the first few weeks. Uh, So he was kind of, you know, doing his best, but unfortunately there was just something wrong. This team just couldn't finish, especially a lot of these illegal shift uh, penalties, which is on Brandon Staley. It's on Joe Lombardi to, you know, get these guys kind of coached up. Um, in terms of what he's done best so far, I would say that his calls on fourth down, all these huge fourth downs, these momentum swinging uh, plays that he's able to call up on fourth and two, fourth and one to continue these drives to really help the Chargers kind of put away some of these opponents has been huge. I just absolutely phenomenal. I think he's done a heck of a job of calling games where it's a lot of taking the, what the defense gives you. And I, I think that is the modern-day NFL. Um, you know, some, some offenses transcend that by just having a quarterback that can do it all. Um, but at the end of the day, giving Justin Herbert a simple, um, easy read on certain downs, I mean, knowing tendencies and being able to just call the right plays over and over and over again has been huge. Now, on the negative side, and I saw a lot of this last night, and if you watch the game, uh, let me know if, if you kind of notice this as well, but – um, they'd be, he'd be calling a good game most of the first half, right? They were up 21-0, to zero, and how can you complain about the offensive coordinator? But they ran a lot of odd uh, run plays with a lot of backfield action that was taking a long time to develop, and so by the time the running back got the ball, um, 
you know, the misdirection would took too long and all of a sudden defenders were kind of able to figure that out. There was also a few too many like cute plays. Um, I think one of them being the flea flicker that there was a weird miscommunication where uh, instead of running an actual deep route, Keenan Allen ran like a 14 yard comeback and Justin Herbert threw it 30 yards over his head for some reason. Um, and it was just like weird timing. They needed to go down and score. And for whatever reason, he thought, oh, yeah, we'll get him on this second and 10 on a flea flicker. You know, there was no setup. There was no, like, banking on momentum or just how the team was probably reacting and the defense were reacting to them moving the ball. It was just really odd. Um, and so I thought too many times last night in a game where they knew what they were good at and what they were succeeding with against the Raiders defense. And yet they would just take the time to go in a completely different direction to call uh, some cute play, some trick play or, or whatever for what seemed like no reason. So at the end of the day, I think he's done such a good job, but there's games where they start off by calling, you know, all this stuff that's obviously not working and they try to beat it over the head like a dead horse. And then it's too late in the game where uh, they realize, oh, we should be letting Justin Herbert just throw the ball up tempo, you know, do what kind of he was doing at, at Oregon. And all of a sudden it works. So there's just some weird tendencies that he has up to this point. But overall, I mean, you really can't complain with a three and one team that, uh, or at least over the last two weeks, has kind of found their stride on offense. It's a great breakdown, fully comprehensive. Uh, that's what we aim for here, man. Good stuff. Defensively, let's switch over there. Ronaldo Hill's running the defense. Let's talk D-line. You know, we 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 get spoiled here as my son runs in the house. <laughs> we get spoiled <laughs> here with Joey Bosa. Uh, you know, I'm sure you you are. We, we Listen, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. I know how good that dude is. They've had great players come through the franchise since then. His brother, Chase Young. I've not seen one better than Joey. I'll argue it until the end. Uh, and then, obviously, I break down and we get to cover Miles Garrett all the time. And you get spoiled watching these dudes. And, and Joey is phenomenal uh, and very uh, introspective. I, I just really enjoy Joey Bosa, and I'm sure you do as well. Talk about the rest of the D-line group and how they're playing to start this year. And really, like, what the base defense is and what they're trying to do under Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Uh... The biggest thing that the change under Ronaldo Hill is that they brought over essentially this big Fangio defense, right? This 3-4 front, which is a huge jump off from the 4-3 that the Chargers have been running, cover three heavy defense that Gus Bradley was trying to make work in in Los Angeles that was working sometimes. And then for the most part, unfortunately, the last few years just really wasn't, uh, especially with someone like Derwin James being hurt. Um, So now instead of running, you know, it's not Melvin Ingram and Bosa anymore, you've got uh, Bosa essentially playing a completely different position. Despite him running, rushing the passer still, uh, his hand's not in the dirt all that often, right? He's he's in that base, you know, five-man front. You've got the three interior defensive linemen, and you've got your two edge rushers or outside linebackers if you still want to consider them that. Um, he's he's in a two-point stance, and that's a bit crazy. And also you see Justin or Joey Bosa uh, in coverage sometimes. So, um, But he's still getting his, his his money's worth right. He's still got three sacks on the season. He's still on a good pace, getting a lot of pressures right now. But I guess you did ask me about not Joey Bosa. So some of the other guys, let's look at the opposites. Uh, you know, edge rushers. It's Jenna Nwosu. He's a former second-round pick back in, I want to say, 2018 out of USC. Um, he's been a rotational guy. I thought he was really good in his rotational role the last few years behind Melvin Ingram. Um, he's getting his shot to play. Hasn't done all that much. If anything, Kyler Fackrell, a free agent signing uh, who's been with the Giants and the Packers through his first four or five seasons, has been a little bit more impactful. uh, But he's kind of that third wheel um, in that edge rusher group. And then uh, your interior linemen are, so far, Jerry Tillery and Linval Joseph are your main two. Jerry Tillery had a sack last night. Uh, Big for him. He's still a former first-round pick out of Notre Dame that the Chargers are still trying to figure out how to really – 
I guess, unlock his talents because he's a six, seven defensive lineman um, who's not out on the end. Uh, he's more of a defensive tackle. So they're just trying to figure out how he can win a little bit more consistently on the inside. And of course, Linval Joseph, uh, it's hard not to love Linval, just a great character. Um, massive man, just a guy that's kind of fun to have on your team. But he is on the wrong side of 30, and there are some games where he really just has a bad time against you know whatever offensive lineman is in front of him. And, and a game like against the Raiders, he actually ended up being one of the highest-rated players on that defense. So had a really good game, really helped bottle up uh, the Raiders' ground game, which was huge. Another guy who would be considered one of the starting uh, defensive tackles uh, on this five-man front is Justin Jones. And unfortunately, Justin Jones... Uh, and this is a weird story, but uh, he went out around halftime against Washington in week one with what Brandon Staley said was just bad cramping. You know, he just said it was really hot, came out of the game um, and missed most of the second half. And and post game, they just said, yeah, he was just cramping. It's nothing serious. And Justin Jones has now missed the last three games and was put on IR before yesterday's game. So for whatever reason, just is missing some time. Uh, he's just, you know, an explosive defensive uh, tackle. Um, doesn't do a whole lot in terms of production. He's just fine. Former third round pick. The Chargers are hoping to, you know, again, to kind of have a breakout. But uh, unfortunately, that's still put off um, right now. And I will tell you, uh, pointing out the I think the, the biggest unsung hero of the defensive line is Christian Covington. You know, this journeyman guy, former sixth round pick out of Rice, kind of plays all three interior positions on this three, four front. Uh, really is making plays. Had a sack last night, has made some tackles for loss. Uh, a few of them in the last few weeks uh, played with the Texans, played with the Cowboys, um, played with the Bengals, uh, I think last year, most recently. So he's had uh, quite a few experiences, quite a few teams he's been on, but he's been a spark plug, man. I think him and Brandon Staley's system has really helped out. But uh, as far as the defensive line goes, there's some other smaller undrafted free agents, uh, late round draft picks who, who don't see much play. But for the most part, that is kind of what you're looking at um, in terms of the Chargers defensive line. Yeah, the the addition there you mentioned of Covington and 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 Linville and, and Tillery, it's a talented, it's definitely a talented group. And you mix in the linebackers. The Kenneth Murray injury is tough, right? How are they replacing him? Who's who's playing in those roles? Yeah, so without Kenneth Murray, you're going to see Drew Tranquil start. Who's a I think he was a fourth round pick in 2019, if I have that right, out of Notre Dame. Was a Senior Bowl participant. Um, great guy. Great guy, great leader. As a rookie, he blocked two punts, was a big special teams ace for the Chargers. And it was just a bummer that, you know, seven, I think it was like seven plays into the the Bengals game week one of last year that an offensive lineman fell on him awkwardly and it broke his ankle and he was out for the year. But going into this year, uh, a lot of people thought Drew Tranquil was going to be the starter alongside Kenneth Murray. But for whatever reason, in Brandon Staley's defense, there's really only two inside linebackers. And sometimes there's only one based if he's in a dime look or not with six, def- or six defensive backs. Um, but so Kenneth Murray, it, the loss is, you know, it's a bummer, right? Because he's super athletic and all, has all the potential in the world. But if you want me to be honest with you, Kenneth Murray really hadn't been playing that well for the first few weeks. Um, and Brandon Staley said that after the Chiefs game that uh, Kenneth Murray has kind of been up and down. Um, but they know where he needs to get better. They're they're still figuring out exactly how he can be at his best in this defense. Um, but he was frank about it. You know, he wasn't uh, sugarcoating it. Kenneth Murray has just been fine. You know, he's he's had as many probably as many bad plays as he has good plays. Um, and it's not exactly what you want from a former first round pick, uh, despite being in his second year. Um, but he's out. So he rolled his ankle, I believe. He's on IR. They're just being safe with him. Um, but True Tranquil, especially in his limited snaps thus far. 
rotating in with Kaiser White and Kenneth Murray. He has made some plays. He has a, he has a sack or two already. He has several tackles for loss. Um, I mean, he's just making plays. And so I'm, I think Chargers fans are just fine with Kenneth, Kenneth Murray missing time because of how good they know that Drew Tranquil is. And, and then Kaiser White talking about the other linebacker, former safety out of West Virginia, I believe in his, I want to say, fourth year. I think he's really starting to figure it out. Still struggles a little bit getting off blocks in the run game. But when he's kept clean, he's really able to kind of weave through traffic a bit. Uh, make tackles in the backfield. He's learning a little bit more in coverage as well, you know, coming from inside the box instead of deep uh, deep in the secondary as a former safety. He's figuring it out. Overall, very athletic linebacker group. Six-round rookie Nick Neiman out of Iowa is actually the most athletic, and that might be crazy to hear because of how athletic Kenneth Murray was, but they've seriously got some rangy players in that position, and if they can really solidify that group, which might be the weakest right now on the team, uh, I think this defense can actually even take things you know, a step further uh, over the rest of the year. Nice safety duo here between Adderley and, and Derwin James. You, you drafted a guy we really liked in brown circles asante samuel jr he might be playing a little more nickel chris harris still a pretty good player uh, i think michael davis is starting at the other corner fill us in on what they're doing mm-hmm. the secondary and then as you kind of wrap up defense like at the end of this kind of talk are they are you is it more of a zone team man team do they blitz a lot just a little like baseline of what they like to do yeah so obviously derwin james is who he is man he is just the guy he does everything but play nose tackle, essentially, and he's good at all of it. Obviously had kind of a game-sealing interception for her, his first pick uh, last night in the fourth quarter, which is so good to see just because he deserves it after all this time, man. I mean, that's his first pick since he was a rookie. After all that time to be able to put away a division opponent under the lights uh, the way he did it, I, I think was just special. So he's been as good as advertised. He looks just like he did as a rookie. I mean, he hasn't missed a step. He, he is phenomenal. And uh, looking at his other guy um, on the other side of him this year, Adderley, I think has really taken a step in his third year um, under Brandon Staley. As a rookie, he missed most of the season with a, a nagging hamstring injury that I think he, he, he unfortunately received when he was running at a pro day. Um, but as a, as a second-year player, it just – didn't feel like he fit in Gus Bradley's cover three system. He was always, for the most part, the single high safety, and it was always his responsibility to be like the last line of defense, especially if a run broke out to the you know the second and God forbid the third level. And unfortunately, Nasir Adderley really struggled at just making that tackle. Um, so unfortunately, there were a lot of big plays due to him. He unfortunately struggled with just reads in general. Like if you were to stress him with a vertical route on either side of him while he's playing center field more than likely he was going to choose the wrong one. And it was just a really tough thing to see, especially in that week one game against Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Uh, guys like A.J. Green, um, Uzoma, I think, had a long touchdown, if I, if I can recall correctly. It was just a really bad day. But, um, again, his third year in the league under Brian Staley, who's a much better coach, I would say, right now um, than what he had last year. They just do a heck of a job. He looks so much better. He's just around the ball. He's making these tackles uh, – way more often than he would have ever made them last year um, in that defense. So he's been solid. And then the rest of the secondary, like you said, Asante Samuel Jr., man, he's been that guy. He's been phenomenal. Back-to-back Pepsi Rookie of the Week. Um, That is a fan-voted award, but, like, he still deserves the praise. He's still been very good. Uh, Two picks um, so far to start uh, his career, which is huge. And uh, Mike Davis, as you mentioned, is our opposite corner on the other side. 
in the nickel without Chris Harris, who has been banged up, Tavon Campbell has been there. He's a little bit on the older side, 28, 29. I uh, was a former CFL player, uh, played his college football in Canada as well. Uh, he's kind of figured it out. He's a, a quick twitch guy. I wouldn't say he's got awesome long speed, but agility-wise, former track athlete in college as well. Uh, has a lot of athleticism. I think he's kind of clicking right now um, and really kind of helping that secondary round itself out, especially with Chris Harris, you know, missing some time right now. Um, in terms of tendencies, uh, we play much more of a cover two shell. We're constantly playing cover two because Brandon Staley wants to bait the offense, the opposing offense to run the ball because, you know, based on analytics and everything, if you guys are into that, um, pass plays average more yards per play uh, than when you run the ball. So, of course, the numbers say if you can make your opponent run the ball more than they pass, more than likely uh, you're going to have success. And then especially if you stop the run as you keep inviting them to do it, even better, right? Um, but they do a lot of their stuff kind of out of that cover two shell, and then they'll, they'll swing into cover three, cover ones, robber looks and stuff like that. Um, as they're playing a lot more man as well. I think 37% is kind of where they're, uh, where they're at right now with man coverage, um, which is a big jump off point from where they were a year before. I don't think they had the athletes or at least the right coach to, to, to really run a lot of man over the past few seasons. Um, so this has been phenomenal to see just because it's, it's obviously working right before the Raiders game, they were the seventh best pass team or pass defending team, um, in the NFL. And after holding, uh, the Raiders to just 200 and something, you know, 213 yards, I think it was total 196 from Derek Carr. I think that ranking obviously goes up. They've just done a phenomenal job of communicating, keeping everything in front of them, limiting big plays. Obviously, we saw what they did against Tyree Kill with the Chiefs in week three. Um, and then in terms of blocking and aggressiveness, I, you love to see it because Gus Bradley never blitzes. Uh, Gus Bradley was well known for being, you know, the, the lowest percentage in terms of sending blitzes over the last few years. Um, and Brian Staley just has a knack for knowing when to do it. And, and they're mixed, varied, multiple looks. Uh, he does a lot. One of my favorite things that he does is, is pre-snap. He'll have one of the middle linebackers walk up in the A-gap uh, to show blitz. And then when that defender, when the quarterback understands that makes a call, um, the other linebacker then blitzes. So if it's Kaiser White walking up showing he's going to blitz at the snap, Kaiser will drop and the other linebacker goes. And so I just love seeing that kind of mixed up very look in those games that they're playing with opposing uh, offenses. I think it's just been phenomenal. And communication has been key uh, with this secondary. And Brandon Staley, man, has just done a heck of a job. It's two good teams, man, two good teams. And I, it'll be very, mm -hmm. very interesting to see how they – how they attack each other, especially how the Chargers attack Baker Mayfield. As we sit here, Michael, it's only Tuesday when we're recording this. You feeling pretty good about this weekend? What do the Chargers have to do to beat the Browns, in your opinion? I think the, the Chargers have to make it a horrible day for Baker Mayfield. Um, we just want to talk about the most recent example. The Browns obviously beat the Vikings this past weekend, 14-7. to And I think uh, Baker Mayfield had 196 yards passing, something along those lines. I don't think he had over 200. Um, I think he had maybe one touchdown, one interception. Correct me if I'm wrong. but It was bad, uh, Michael. I'm here to tell you, my friend. It was a negative 18.3 CPOE day. It was bad. 
It was bad. We'll leave it at that. Okay, yeah. So so I just think the Vikings, who a lot of people didn't expect their defense to be that great, all of a sudden got Everson Griffin back with Daniil Hunter, mm-hmm. Eric Kendricks, Harrison Smith. Like They have these right pieces, and it's working for them. And so I think there's going to be a lot of film watched about kind of what the Vikings were doing to, to, to slow down um, uh, Baker Mayfield in that offense. And, I mean, they still ran for, I believe, a, over 180, almost 190 yards on the ground. Yeah. And I, I think the Chargers are going to take those lumps on the ground. I just, you know, I think that's probably the biggest issue of the Chargers defense is, is their run game. Um, and so they will take those lumps there. But at the end of the day, if they're able to pressure, um, limit the passing game, and I would tell you right now that I think the Chargers offense is more consistent and overall a better unit than, than the Vikings. If they hold the Browns to 14 points, I think that's a victory. You know, I think there's just there's some teams where you kind of understand where their point ceiling is offensively with the Chiefs. You know, you kind of have to score a lot of points to beat the Chiefs. Right. But then you have other teams that want to win through slowing the game down like the Browns who run the ball. And so I think, you know, scoring 24 27 points is a pretty easy way to potentially beat the Browns. So that's kind of how I expect that to shake out. Again, I think, you know, the the ground game will scare them. If they can't limit it, whatever, or whatsoever, excuse me, then I think it's going to be a long day. But overall, I think the Vikings showed a pretty good blueprint on, on how to handle Baker Mayfield in that offense. It's good stuff. He's Michael Peterson. Michael, tell everybody where they can find you before we go. Yeah, everyone. If uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at uh, Zone Tracks. That's spelled Z O N E T R A C K S. Uh, if you want to again read any of my work, any of the previews that I'll be putting out in regards to, to this week's matchup with the Browns, you can uh, go to boltsfromtheblue.com. That is uh, SB Nation's Los Angeles Chargers community and website. Um, we do a lot of great work there. And uh, again, appreciate the clicks. Come on over. Michael, this was great, man. Our our listeners to this podcast will really appreciate having a great feel for the Chargers, man. Again, thank you for your time. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. It was a ton of fun. All right, now you're fully prepared for Browns versus Chargers. You know all the things you need to know about L.A. Uh, some of you who are L.A. people, a lot of people that follow me, a lot of people I have discourse with will be at the game. It should be a pretty heavy Browns crowd, as every visiting stadium seems to be. And it only seems to get worse, you know, wherever the Chargers are playing, San Diego or L.A. It's heavy, heavy visitor crowds uh, in terms of the, the sheer numbers at the stadium. So I'm really looking forward to how that shakes out. So beautiful new stadium, too. Exciting for the Browns to get an opportunity there. Should be a good game, hopefully a good game. We'll have more on that in the coming days, especially with our Sunday game day preview and some of those things. So keep your eye out for that. A reminder, if you have not left a podcast review with your Twitter handle, get in on that while you can. I'm going to do that 10-hat drawing tomorrow night when I get on with our usual Friday guest, John Colosimo. We'll record uh, and discuss some things, and then and then we'll, we'll pass the hats out and, and announce the winners. And then the following morning after we record, it's Thursday night, so Friday morning, I'll, uh, I'll make sure to let everyone know who won, that they want a hat. And then we might have some in the future that you can buy. We'll see how that shakes out. But I wanted to make sure we honored that giveaway uh, because you guys have been very gracious with some of your reviews. Cannot thank you enough for that. Thanks again to Michael Peterson for the episode, giving us his time. Thanks to you guys for, most importantly, continuing to support this show and give your time to listen. It means the world to me. Thank you again. We'll be back tomorrow with John Colosimo. I appreciate you guys very, very much. Have a great day. We sign off as usual with Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.